Growing Up Baby with Haley Zimak. We fed her, changed her diaper, and she's just, you know, screaming. And, you know, uh, I felt like we were having a standoff. I was just looking down at her and just sheer frustration, you know, like I have no idea what to do. One aspect of a new baby's development. The clip you just heard is from a video that can be found on don'tshake.org. This particular resource from the National Center on Shaken Baby Syndrome focuses on the period of purple crying. Now, you may not be familiar with the purple acronym, but you may know all too well that a constantly crying or fussing baby can weaken even the toughest nerves of steel. Parents report feelings of anger, frustration, failure when they just can't seem to soothe or settle their little one. Kat Jacobs is an injury prevention specialist with Victoria Hospital's trauma program at the London Health Sciences Centre, or LHSC, in London, Ontario. Kat, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Before we get into it, can you tell us firstly about your role as an injury prevention specialist? So what you do and the type of education and resources you provide. As an injury prevention specialist, uh, our role exists within the trauma program. So as a level one trauma centre, Uh, we are required to provide and advocate for injury prevention initiatives and programs. So we do a lot of this work through three major avenues. Uh, We we do patient-focused education. So examples of these programs would be our Safe Infant Sleep Program, of course, the period of purple crying, uh, falls prevention, a few others. We also do community-based programs. So we offer a home safety kit program, car seat consultations, stop the bleed, Um, in-school programs, and then lastly, we also do this work through uh, committees. Uh, We also work very closely with our our epidemiologist just to ensure that our programs are data-driven and informed, as well as, you know, to monitor any new or emerging trends. So it's kind of an all-encompassing role. There's a lot of different factors and circumstances and issues to to consider. Um, you've you've listed quite a few, but specifically today, we are talking about purple crying. And I have to say, this is something that I was not familiar with. Um, a listener emailed in and said, "Hey, I think my my baby has this." And I thought, okay, let's let's explore this. So, can you walk us through what purple crying is, or I guess it's referred to the period of purple crying because it's very important to note that. That this is a period of time and it has a beginning and it has an end. Exactly. Yeah, that is exactly right. So it, it's referred to as the period of purple crying. Some folks know it as colic, um, but essentially the period of purple crying program, uh, it's an evidence-based initiative and it's been adopted province-wide actually across Ontario. So most, uh, if not all, Hospitals with a birthing center will provide some form of education. At LHSC, we ensure that we are providing three doses of this education. So we make sure that our staff and clinicians are well versed in this education and are able to speak with our new uh, parents and caregivers. And then we provide videos as well as resources for online education. And we partner with the health unit as well. So that's kind of our dose two. And then dose three would be, you know, anytime they follow up. So it could be acute care or inpatient, anything like that. So we want to make sure that it's very readily available. And, and, you know, these folks are getting this education, uh, not just once, but multiple times, because we know that that does really help um, with the retention of information. So really the two primary goals are to support parents and caregivers in their understanding of early increased infant crying 
and to reduce the incidence of shaken baby syndrome slash abusive head trauma. So it is kind of categorized in that manner. Um, and, and we know that the best way to do that is, again, bring awareness to this period and understand that it does have an end, as you said. So we really place an emphasis on that period of purple crime. Mm-hmm. And and just note that, unfortunately, for some, it's just something you have to bear and, and get through. So can we talk about purple crying? It, uh, it, it does not refer to a color. It's actually an acronym. Yeah. So the letters in purple stand for uh, peak of crying. So your baby may be crying more each week, uh, it, the most usually in month two, and then it will slowly uh, lessen. It's unexpected, so crying can come and go, and you may not know why. R stands for resists soothing, so your baby may not stop crying no matter what you try to do. Um, and this this R, it's very important to know that it's not your fault. This is, again, just an aspect of purple crying. The next P is pain-like face, so uh, your infant may look like they're in pain even when they're not. L is for long-lasting so crying can last as much as five hours a day or more. And E is for evening. So your baby may cry more in the late afternoon or evening. Okay. What contributes to purple crying? Because I think it's so important that you said this is not your fault because there's so much guilt that can go uh, along with this. When you talk about a pain-like face, I think your instinct is going to be like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with you? Um, Are you hurt? Are you hungry? Mm -hmm. So what... So purple crying essentially is colic. Like, is there no... There's no cause for it then? No. So actually, this is data-driven and uh, evidence-supported. So all infants do go through a period of increased crying. And again, this is variable. It's it's very subjective from infant to infant, but they do experience um, an increased period of crying. So regardless of you know where we are in the world, they have collected data um, f- from multiple locations across the world. And they have found that, you know, that two week to, you know, those, uh, that, that two month period, that's kind of when that increased crying does occur. And again, it does come with those purple acronym aspects. So it's, it's very important to know that it's, it's normal and all infants do go through this. It just kind of, the, it, it varies on the level, but most will go through this. So as I'm kind of reflecting back, I I do remember a lot of crying in the evening. I might have gotten that confused with the cluster feeding period, right? Like, so I'm now that we're kind of talking about this, because there were times when he was almost inconsolable in the evening. And I remember speaking, I think she was a... Um, I called like the Sunnybrook Health Line or something. And she said, babies specifically cry in the evening because the way that we're wired as human beings was back in the day, you know, when we lived in caves and dusk was settling in, there's like this intrinsic fear of separation from the parents because you were in caves and you could get eaten essentially as a little defenseless baby. Is there any, I don't know, is there any merit to that? Do you have any thoughts on that particular train of thought? So I think, sure, you know, there's definitely some evidence to back up, you know, evolution and having that innate thought process. But it is more important just to point out that all infants are going to go through this. And there could be times where we don't know why it's happening. And I think our first instinct is to, you know, place a reason behind it or, you know, name why it's happening. Um, but it is really important to note that it's it's going to happen 
Um, and again, you may not know why and your, your child may not be able to be soothed or consoled. Um, and again, that is a normal part of infant development. So not to stress out and feel like this is something that you have done or caused um, because it's it's neither the fault of the parent or caregiver or the infant. It's just, again, a normal part of uh, of infant development. Okay, got it. It is what it is. Can we talk about the support? And I know we talked briefly about it, but specifically to help parents cope. You know, if I'm going on oh, what did we say? It most happens around month two, then less in month three to five. But if I've been dealing with this every day, especially in the evening, I'm tired, I'm burnt out, I don't know what to do. Um, what can you assist with? Yeah, absolutely. So we point out five really big aspects for soothing and coping mechanisms. Um, but most importantly, we really, really want to draw importance to the fact that some things will work some of the time but nothing will work all of the time. Okay, so manage your expectations. Let's be realistic here. That's what you're saying? Yes, we really want, you know, parents and caregivers to set their expectations and knowing that, you know, if none of these are working, it's okay. You're not doing anything wrong. You've tried your best and it is okay to put your baby down and take a short break. If you need to calm down, of course, it's going to be overwhelming. It's frustrating. But again, just taking a moment to yourself to kind of um, recuperate from that. And then we can try again. But some of the things that they like to outline are, you know, changes in position. So that could mean picking up your infant from lying down. Um, it could give baby a new perspective, a new view of the world, which could find uh, they could find soothing. Uh, maybe, you know, get some eye to eye contact with them, or it could just be the fact that the body contact kind of, as you said earlier, that could soothe baby, um, repeating. So this could be sounds, sight, touches, or smells repeating things. It does tend to be calming. Again, it may not always work, uh, rhythms. So this occurs. It could be a sound again, sight or touch. Um, and again, it's repeated in that rhythmic pattern. So a lot of nursery rhymes, they have that rhythmic, you know, kind of underlying tone to them. So that could be soothing. Um, a lot of folks we talk to find that white noise can be lulling or soothing to infants. Um, there's actually a study with uh, uh, parents who have infants that live near an airport, and they find that when airplanes take off, uh, infants are able to be soothed um, just naturally by that noise. And then last one is closeness. So again, just, you know, holding them, being close, that may soothe them. But again, not all of these things are always going to work. These are just things that we like to suggest uh, that may help soothe your infant. But uh, bottom line is you can always take a break, um, leave the room with your baby there crying. It's okay to do that if you need to take a minute to, you know, kind of calm down or gather your thoughts because... Having a baby crying can be extremely, extremely overwhelming and frustrating if you don't know how to, you know, soothe them. Mm -hmm. Or if they can't be soothed too at the time, right? Exactly. Like that that's kind of the crux of this, isn't it? You can do everything under the sun and still baby won't um, stop. So I think your advice is so good and so safe in terms of if you're getting worked up or angry put them down and and walk away, right? Like they're they're safe there. And if you are feeling on the brink of kind of exploding, it's the best thing for everyone, isn't it? 
Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that is the bottom line is, you know, just taking that moment because that's how we're going to avoid, you know, the outcomes. And Kat, those outcomes must be so heartbreaking to deal with. Do you work with families after an incident as well, or you're mainly focused on prevention? So we are more on that preventative end. Uh, we don't see many individuals uh, post-injury. Um, but I know that our, our data analysts do, you know, have to to code those. And it uh, it is incredibly difficult for them to have to, you know, read some of the notes and things and uh they do usually let us know just about the cases so we can have that understanding. And it does drive us to get that education and information out more, um, you know, because we know that this is a preventable injury that is occurring. And that is, is you know, the driving factor behind it. My entire role is to stop these traumatic injuries from happening out in our community. And on the patient side, we, we've heard that this education that's provided is a really great resource for them because, you know, primarily it's comforting to know that they aren't alone in this experience and that more importantly, there is an end to it. And that's that big piece of the, the period of purple crying. So there it will end and you aren't alone in this experience. All infants will go through this, um, which I think is a really, a really important part. I think so too, because prior to even speaking with you, I didn't know or think that all infants went through it. I really like that we can share that message. Um, when you are connected with families, what, what do you hear from them, like specifically about the issues that they're facing and then how they're able to cope based on the resources and education that you've provided? Ultimately, it's just very reassuring that this is not their responsibility in terms of, you know, they're not the reason baby is crying. This is no one is at fault, which they find very comforting because a lot of the time, you know, I think there is this innate need to be, you know, quote unquote, a good parent or the perfect parent. And, you know, internally, if you feel like you cannot soothe your baby, you are doing something wrong. And that is not the case at all. Um, so I think that it offers, you know, a level of comfort for these folks getting this education and kind of fills up their toolbox, you know, if in the moment they cannot console or, or you know, calm their baby, that it is okay to take a moment and, and, uh, and just kind of, you know, regather their composure um, before they try again. Mm -hmm. What happens, Kat, um, when a baby is handled in that, that matter? What is the effect of having shaken baby syndrome? Yes. So I think that is kind of, you know, more the stream of thinking. So when we say, you know, period of purple crying, you know, it is a preventative initiative, but it's to prevent shaken baby syndrome, which is uh, you know, classified as abusive head trauma. So when, you know, babies are handled in that nature, it does do uh, quite a bit of damage to their brain in internally, you know, within their skull, just because of their weak neck muscles and, you know, heavy head, right? It is going to do a lot of damage and a lot of force will be behind uh, those movements because, you know, we as adults are a lot stronger uh, so, so there is quite uh, quite a bit of damage that is done internally uh, within their brain. 
LHSC reports that about 43%, and you can correct me or update this number if needed, this is what I, I found online, but of infant injuries are intentional or many are diagnosed as SBS, shaken baby syndrome, or abusive head trauma. It sounds like you and your team are working so, so hard to reduce that number. What else can be done to, to lower that number? Because 43% is, is quite significant, is it not? So, so infants, like the statistic behind that 43%, it's of the infants that present in, you know, a specific manner with the injuries, you know, to their head or neck or what have you, after looking in and doing, you know, kind of that research further into the cases, we find that 43% of those specific injuries are intentionally related to shaken baby. So we do, we do classify shaken baby as an intentional injury. And yeah, it is, that is quite a high number though, truthfully, of all of the, you know, head related injuries or, you know, head, neck, um, what have you, that is a high number. And the important part behind that, you know, kind of sentence is that the injuries are intentional because parents and caregivers have an intent behind the action that is inflicting injury. And can we talk about the impact that your program or similar programs have in terms of reducing that rate? So this is kind of not in terms of like injury rates, but this is kind of a success story of the period of purple crying and it's out of BC. So once they implemented the period of purple crying province-wide in, in British Columbia, they saw significant reductions and specifically 35% reduction in abusive head trauma admissions for infants less than 24 months of age. So that's a really incredible win and kind of speaks to the gravity of this program and the big impacts that it can make. Absolutely. And anything that can be done, right, to reduce that number. Um, what else would you would you like to see? Obviously, you and your team, you're doing incredible work, but what, what else needs to be done? I mean, is it like a funding investment thing? Is it being able to access more hospitals to share more education and resources? I mean, how can we get that number down? Yeah, that's a very great question. I think it all comes down to just spreading awareness. This program has been going on since 2007. So, you know, it's it's very well, you know, solidified within our programming, but spreading the awareness um, goes so much, you know, more beyond just the hospital walls. So that could be you know, each individual getting this education, speaking with their friends and family, right? Being able to discuss your experiences is so very important uh, to getting this education out. And like I said, kind of breaking down that stigma of, you know, being a good parent, um, because a lot of people don't want to discuss, you know, kind of the pits of, of parenthood, um, because, you know, they want to present or could be, you know, wanting to present, you know, no, my baby's, you know, perfect, doesn't cry. Uh, and if they do, I'm, I'm going to sue them and it's all good, right? But understanding that everybody is going to go through this. So having that awareness and honestly, that comfortability, being able to speak about um, situations that you've been in or experiences, because that could help other individuals in that scenario and in that moment, right? If they're feeling so worn down, frustrated, just being able to remember, you know what, so-and-so went through this and like, I can get through this. This is going to end. Bottom line is there's going to be sometimes you're not going to be able to soothe your baby and that is okay. Your baby is not abnormal. There's nothing wrong. 
This is a completely normal developmental period for infants. More information and resources are available at don'tshake.org. I've also linked to the website in the podcast description. Thank you for listening. Get in touch. Growingupbabypodcast at gmail.com. Conversations may be edited for length and clarity. The information, opinions, and recommendations in this podcast are for general informational purposes only. The information is not intended to replace or serve as a substitute for professional advice, consultation, or service. Until next time.